Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo has been rescheduled to April 3rd through the 6th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London has been rescheduled to May 8th through the 12th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Go to ndcporto.com to register. NDC Minnesota is happening September 27th through the 30th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And this is a uh, the start of a very special series of shows that Richard and I are doing on uh, .NET's 20th birthday. Right, ma'am? Yeah, that's February thirteenth is officially twenty years since .NET shipped. And wow! So uh, some fun to talk to some folks that were there, yeah, uh, and uh, and their views of this past couple of decades because it's been a crazy time, no question. It really has, and um, you know Miguel de Acaza is here. We'll we'll talk to him in a few minutes, but uh, also I just want to mention that August of this year will be the twentieth anniversary of .NET Rocks. That is true. Yeah. Holy man. Yeah. So anyone who's been listening for 20 years, we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's that bad, but how many hours of that do, do they, do we need to refund their time? How many hours? Well, they, you know, I think some of them were pretty good hours. Yeah. Some of of them, not so much, but some of them were kind of just fun. Yeah, some goofing off, you know, different periods. Right. You never know what's going to happen. That's true. And, you know, this is something that we said from the beginning of this show, which is it's not a .NET show. It's a show for .NET developers. And we talk about bazillions of things. Nobody puts baby in a corner. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we we can't just talk about programming. In 20 years of .NET, think about what being a .NET developer has meant. Ugh. Like, it's changed a bunch. So many times. And we're going to talk to Miguel so about that. But sure. first... Let's roll the crazy music for a little segment I call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? This is really appropriate uh, for Miguel. Um, So .NET MAUI is in preview 12. Right. That's a lot of previews. Yeah, this just happened uh, January 19th. Um, uh, David Artineau posted this blog post, which we'll link to in the show notes. Maui is so good these days that I want to encourage people to who haven't, you know, who have stayed away from the previews and all that stuff because they don't know what it's going to do to their machines and stuff. I'm, I'm here to say, man, just just go get it and play with it. It It is so, the experience is so different from older experiences with Xamarin Forms that you may have had. Um, you know, pulling your hair out over the Java SDK and all that stuff. And, oh, I got to go get this and this. They do it all for you now. It, it nice. literally is a plug-and-play experience. And uh, I even talked on the .NET show about how easy it is to use, uh, if you don't have a Mac, to use Mac in cloud. 
And it's affordable, too. It's more affordable than setting up a Mac VM on any cloud provider like uh, AWS or Amazon, Amazon AWS or Azure. Right. And it just works. So I'm very, very bullish on Maui. I'm, I'm very excited for the, you know, seeing the history. Talk about the history of .NET, right? Mm -hmm. To me, this is the technical wonder culmination of Miguel's work and all of that work that has gone into making .NET 6 and, you know, making .NET cross-platform and open source. And, and Miguel deserves a huge amount of credit for this. But I just want to encourage everybody to go get Visual Studio Preview 2022 and start playing with it. It's going to be a delightful experience, not a horrendous experience. Awesome. Go for it. That's all I got, man. Who's talking to you? Yeah. Grabbed a comment off a show, 1776. No U.S. references. This is from January this past year, 2022. <laughs> talking to Oleg Friedman about .NET and startups, which, you know, I bet you Miguel knows a couple of things about that as well. I think so. Uh, and this one particular comment jumps out for me, and I believe the person's name is, uh, at, uh, starts with an S, Cruz. Uh, okay. And he said, but it's, you know, I couldn't really find his full name. Yeah, so I'm okay. sorry I don't have your full name. You know, you use a shorthand name. Uh, it, it's that not happens. your Twitter handle or anything like that. You do the best you can. Yep. He's, and, but he goes on to say, I thought it was interesting that Oleg said that part of the business was having the right people in place. But he and I think you also previously said that you had built businesses with the same people before. So mm. the people you've built businesses with before left those businesses to work with you on new businesses. Do any of these people end up staying or do the purchasers expect entire groups of developers to move on post-sale? The product was built with the, quote, right people in place, as Oleg said, but they're all leaving to help with the next project. As a buyer, you go into the purchase thinking, this is a known quantity and I'm buying it, so you mm. buy it. Mm -hmm. Then everyone leaves, even though you bought a solution, and now you have a problem hiring maintainers to be employed at the business that was previously staffed. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. It's a great question. It's something I've dealt with having built a few companies along the way myself. Uh, and Oleg addressed it directly to him too. Uh, typically in an acquisition. So I've, you know, been working with a group that was acquiring companies as well. And you do want to keep those key people in place. And so typically part of the compensation plan in an acquisition includes sort of an investing agreement. It says, hey, we're going to give you some money now or some shares now. But if you stick around for a year, we'll give you more. And you stick around for another year, we'll give you even more. Mm. Uh, and so create some incentives to keep people to stay in place. Uh, that being said, I've also walked away from those incentives too because I really wanted to do something else or I wasn't happy where I was. Like in right. the end, people have got to lake a living one way or the other. And I think it's a challenge as an acquirer to, to keep that team intact. But it's also going to evolve the personalities that thrive in a startup company are not necessarily the same personalities that will thrive in the bigger company. And so for many folks, it's after that two-year Vaster show, it's like, okay, well, now I'm in a place where I, I want to try something new or I like the smaller work environment or, yeah. you know, just things want to change. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, it, and it wouldn't be constructive if it did. Uh, it often is a year, two years, three years. But uh, a great question, and uh, certainly it's an issue. If you've never been through the process, it can be uh, very interesting. I have certainly had the experience that after after the fallout of uh, of an acquisition like that, to have been called from by folks saying, "Hey, wherever you end up, please recall me because I would work with you again." 
Yeah. Uh, there, there are people you, you really enjoy working with and, and that's more important than even the project in some cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's certainly for me, who's built, there's a few folks I've worked with and you've met them guys like Kent Allstad, where right. we're on our third or fourth business together now in mm -hmm. one form or another, uh, and in different roles too. Like it's different every time. Yeah. So, uh, S. Cruz, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Go By, write a comment on the website at rocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin and he's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. You know, Twitter doesn't have hot reload. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, it's it doesn't. True. It does not. It Actually, it probably doesn't, does not. doesn't need it probably yeah <laughs> just saying i think it's just the f5 key right all right so uh when we were putting the show together i realized that the last show we did with miguel de casa was so long ago that his bio was only partially correct but if we were to list off all of the things that he's done and that he is it, we wouldn't have any time left to talk to him. So he just said, <laughs> just call me uh, an open source developer and advocate and a Microsoft distinguished engineer. Okay, that's that's good. Miguel de Acaza, how are you? I'm doing fine. I think that works. I think that works. Yeah. It's I mean, true also. It's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we also call you things like, you know, the savior of .NET? Maybe? Oh, no, no. It's a team effort. I it's, know, but it's come always on. Been a... <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, without well, Mono I mean, and without the open sourceness of .NET, we wouldn't be where we are today. .NET uh, may still be a Windows technology. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that it's not. I'm happy that it. Uh, it I'm happy that it's now pretty much universal and that we yeah. can run it from. Absolutely really everything uh, from I, the I, tiniest embedded systems to the largest supercomputers. So I have uh, I have that headshot and I've used it a few times and it shows up Twitter and you always tease me when I use it. That is from the O'Reilly conference in 2001 oh, yes. when you where you announced the mono project. Mm -hmm. Oh, was that the, the 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 photo in red? The one with the extended arms? Because that no. was a very... No, it's it's a very knowledge. straight up headshot, but you're like 26, right? Like you're you're uh, yeah. it, you look young in this. Roughly, photo. yeah, I don't remember. I mean, yeah, roughly 30s, yeah. maybe. Yeah, early 30s. 2001. Yeah, uh, 28. Yeah. Yeah, 28. Oh, you're, you're, good, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Yes. Uh, you know, I've only been working on you. You and I didn't. We talked an entire day about your history of .NET. Yeah, mm -hmm. on a rainy day in Boston two or three years ago now i'm still working on the book friend like it's yeah it's oh, still awesome. going okay, it's, hard. Okay. it's it's a, it's been a slog for me but it's still a joy in the sense that it's such a great story but as i've written various versions of the history of dotnet and tested it on audiences mm -hmm. often i pull up that picture and people take photos of that shot and go is that really miguel it's like yeah but i that is from when you said you would make mono which in my mind it's like that's 2001. That's you talking about making .NET cross-platform and open source yeah. a decade before everybody else. Yeah. Well, what is interesting is now, as in retrospect, you make me feel old because that was 20 years ago. That was, yeah, uh, yeah I remember. It was a good, good O'Reilly conference. And mm -hmm. Well, this is almost like, you know, Miguel de Acasa, you bet your life, you know, like <laughs> this is your life, rather. Um, I have two fond memories of you. One is, of course, uh, at that famous party 
at the top of the standard in Los Angeles during PDC yep. 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds about right. It's in that neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, it was the uh, Longhorn thing. Or? It was 2003 because I was there with my wife. Yeah. And we had just gotten married. And Don um, Box played, yeah. uh, you know, and sang you a song, Miguel, to the tune of Michelle by the Beatles. And I played guitar. And he yeah. danced <laughs> with a rose in his teeth, I think, and uh, gave you a rose. He was trying to court you to to come to Microsoft. Yeah, it was and a recruiting interview. Yeah, I remember that. I was recruiting event. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great fun. Um, but yeah, he was very serious uh, about hiring you. And of course, you know, you were going to Novell and all of that stuff at the time. So the other the other memory I have is doing a show with you on .NET Rocks in August of 2004. This mm-hmm. is episode 75. For reference, this is show mm-hmm. 1779. So uh, over a, th- over a yeah. thousand shows ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, and I, I, I know I've told this story for the old timers, that, but there might be people who don't understand this. At the time, Microsoft was threatened by Linux you know, because it was a Windows-centric world back then, and they saw Linux as a threat to Windows. And, you know, therefore, you were kind of persona non grata at Microsoft. Was this the interview in the show floor? Didn't you have, like, a? was there a booth? I remember there was an interview at a booth, uh, and it was live. I think it was live with a bunch of people, you know, listening on the sides. Was that the one? That that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I remember that um, our friends at MSDN, who are all good friends of all of us now, um, were mirroring the downloads because we were worried about bandwidth at the time. We couldn't pay our bandwidth bill. And so they had a mirror. Uh And your show was mysteriously left off of of the list of shows. And uh, when I inquired, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened to Miguel's show? I think the answer was a vague, yeah, we can't publish that one. <laughs> I'm like, well, I publish it. Yeah, there were a number. Yeah, I think that the Microsoft of that era um, definitely was in the boat of, uh, of, we'll pretend it doesn't exist, which was bizarre, right? Because it was bizarre. They had submitted all these specs to ECMA. Right. And, uh, but I guess it was one of those things where if you acknowledge that you have competition, uh, you don't want to acknowledge the competition. Yeah. You know, kind of on those big high tech keynotes where, you know, you allude. Never say their name, right? Like Never say their name. Exactly. I think, I think that it was something along those lines. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember Bill Gates being great about, ta- you know, he never talked about Netscape. He talked about down level browsers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, different time. Um, and you know, what happened? It's completely 180 degrees turned around now. Um, you know, with, with Sacha uh in, embracing open source, everything just changed. And uh it was it was the mono project that kept that uh open source version of .NET alive while they had their head in the sand, you know. Yeah, the, you those dark days. In, I that. remember saying that in 2011 on the show. It says because that was after 
Anders had moved on to what we would eventually know of his tight script and Mads was taking over C sharp. Yeah. And we've <laughs> just seen the build conference where they didn't talk about .NET. They talked about WinJS. The dark oh, that was devastating. It yeah. was devastating. Yeah. And, I, yes, and I think I said on the show, I think Miguel Diacazo may be the keeper of, of C sharp. Like, I think he may be the guy who's currently our best advocate for C sharp in the community. We were very excited about it. Yeah. And in fact, it's funny because roughly around this time, there was certainly a dread that uh, that .NET was going away in the community, and mm-hmm. uh, and we were we were starting to launch this product on iOS and Android, uh, and of course our future <laughs> depended yeah. on .NET being successful. So, you know, this mood uh, was not good. This mood was not good, and uh, there was a conference. Uh, Somewhere in New York, I can't remember exactly where, but uh, we had a, you know, there was a public part of my talk and then a secret part of the talk. Mm-hmm. And the secret part was like, hey, listen, I don't want to uh, create a lot of waves, but this is our plan in case, you know, Microsoft bails out on this. And uh, we showed what we thought C-Sharp should become and, uh, you know, all the changes that we wanted to do that up until that point, we've been, you know, we had decided to be compatible hundred percent right. compatible and we avoided always forks uh, or changes that were incompatible mm-hmm. but we decided you know we'll do a preview here of what we would do if uh, you know if Microsoft decides to not invest in .NET so and at the time I think we called it s sharp I don't know where the s came from but it was uh, it was gonna be a fork of the C sharp language with assorted features so I'll, I'll try to dig up the slides interesting our contingency plan was making the tablet show. Right. right. <laughs> we were we came out of build saying, hey, what if .NET doesn't rock? That's right. So, is .NET <laughs> done? Yes. Yes. There was barely any mention. There was one slide that somebody showed with WinJS being the star. And in the middle of the stack somewhere, there was the, the three words CLR. But the words .NET didn't exist anywhere in that whole build. And we were horrified. Yeah, Oh, yes. Oh, I was horrified. I was horrified. And we had one of those at the time. We used to run this uh, guerrilla <laughs> events at every Microsoft conference, right? So Microsoft right. would have their conference, and <laughs> we would have a satellite conference uh, uh, to essentially talk about mono and try to get some uh, folks excited. And uh, yeah, it was grim. It was, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun event, right? Because we got everybody that was disappointed came to our talk uh, yeah. in a hotel nearby. You had to walk like mile or something i remember an old pdc and uh you you were there as an attendee and the regional directors were taking a picture on the staircase and you walked by and every regional director was like miguel miguel come on get in the shot get in the shot and and the regional director person was like no 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 oh my god somebody Yeah, somebody has a photo because somebody took the photos of that person. I can't remember who it was, but uh, he, he, he was a famous guy at the time getting me out of the photo shoot. Uh, so the whole <laughs> sequence of somebody pulling me out of there. Uh, <laughs> but it was a fun, uh, it was a fun, that was a fun event because we did a little bit of guerrilla marketing there too. Right. Uh, we, right. we used post-it notes. And what happened was that uh, somebody had said, listen, I know that you didn't get a slot. I think that we requested like a like a buff session, mm-hmm. and and right. we got a lot of votes, and then mysteriously we lost the votes. <laughs> so they said, "Well, you don't have a session." So some speaker, I can't remember who it was, said, "Tell you what, why don't I give you 
half my session. So I'll rush through my thing and you do half the session. So it was kind of a subvertive move from whoever that speaker was. I can't remember anymore. Uh, it might have been an academic and uh, hmm. uh, that was pitching some language as part of Project 7. And uh, so we had to go through the conference and put uh, post-it notes on all of the agendas to say, hey, the second part is uh, <laughs> going to talk about Mona. Wow. I just found that video of Don singing Miguel to you. And uh, we're going to put it. It's a YouTube video. Somebody posted it up on YouTube. And of course, this horrified the, the Microsoft legal team because oh. <laughs> of the parody law. We weren't parodying the song. We were parodying. Uh, oh, that's why. Yes. You. Yeah. But anyway, we'll put that in the show notes. So, my God, so much has changed. And um, you went from the Xamarin team when that was, uh, you know, forming mm -hmm. with the open yep. source .NET to Maui, I guess. And then you broke off at Maui time. No, no, actually, uh, I've been working for the past couple of years in, um, um, in some AI uh, initiatives inside the company. They're not public yet. Uh, they will be at some point. Um, but uh, so I've been doing that. I've been, I've been keeping a low profile <laughs> All right. on, on our efforts. Uh, what I can say is that I'm very excited about the Onyx runtime, right? That uh, it's Microsoft's AI accelerator, right? So if you have a AI model that you want to run, uh, we run it very fast for you. So uh, anyway, so yeah, for the last couple of years, I do keep an eye on .NET. I, you know, I still attend the, you know, the, 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 the team meetings and, and some, you know, high level discussions, but right. I have been missing from the picture, from the day-to-day -day picture for, for about two years now. And so is Maui shaping up like you hoped it would? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it is a great effort. I was never a Microsoft person, but I believe in the old Microsoft uh, uh, credo. Uh, should we call it credo? The old, uh, I'm kind of more of the old Microsoft uh, style of don't break APIs. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, I think that breaking APIs gives you a tremendous amount of leverage you can clean up. Uh, bad decisions, you can mm. uh, implement the right solutions. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's there's something to be said about that. And Maui definitely took that route. Mm -hmm. um, but I was more on the, you know, I was more on the bend backwards and do anything you have to do to prevent people from making changes um, mm. to their code, right? Preserve their code. Yeah. Um, and my view is, you know, Every time you tell people you got to make changes to your code base to upgrade, uh, people might choose not to upgrade, right? Certainly. It's like, hey, listen, I'll just stay on my current thing. And, and right. you know, if we build a new project, I'll take a look at your stuff. Right. Um, but all new stuff is, you know, it's a little flaky. You need to wait a few generations. So my fear has always been that when you introduce a breaking change, you give people permission to shop around. Right. Right. It's a moment where you say, you know what, I'm going to see what other people are doing. If I got to recruit this code anyway, I might as well yes. review it with an eye to something else. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, you can stay in the ecosystem and say, I'm going to try Uno, right? Uno platform. Right. Uh, which is compatible with uh, WinUI or, you know, I'll try Avalonia or uh, there's a couple more out there. Um, 
Or you can just say, hey, there's a lot of buzz around uh, alternative options, right? Like Flutter, or there's a lot of buzz around React Native. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I was, I was no longer involved when these decisions happened, uh, and uh, keeping compatibility was going to be costly. So the team, you know, they they made that choice. I think the result is very pretty, but I still fear that it gives people, you know, an option to shop around and uh, gives them an I mean, it, but it also is an, uh, you know, if they stay with you, it's because they did look elsewhere and go, you know, it's still, this is the, the easiest path and the most understandable path for me. Like in some ways I, I, I appreciate that because it makes people not just pick your product by default. We, I think we've right. got enough legacy running around that now. Although I will also argue the other side of this, of getting .NET open source, building out core, like yeah. all of that work, inevitably led to some breaking changes that I think they went into carefully. But, uh, and now that they've had success with it, it's like, hey, let's have more breaking changes. Like, I think they're almost getting too casual about revising APIs now. Yes, yes. Anyways, I mean, I think that the story with .NET Core has panned out great. It's been a painful transition mm -hmm. for a lot of people that had code on framework and they wanted to move to core. Uh, it's been painful, but those that have done the transition have uh, extracted a lot of value out of oh, yeah. it. Mm -hmm. It's a refreshed, you know, it's an updated language with, you know, we've learned so much about the kind of applications that people are building how they're building it, how they're scaling them, how they're tuning them. And all of that came back into the language and the frameworks. And keeping it compatible would have been incredibly, incredibly hard. So it was just, I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, .NET framework was incredibly difficult to move uh, just through the logistics of it. So, so it was a painful move, but I think that those that moved are enjoying tremendously the outcome and uh, and now it's moving very fast it's it's getting a lot of really great design and great apis in place uh, i think it's solving a whole class of problems that 10 years ago it was very disappointing right 10 years ago you're like oh god dotnet yeah. has so many deficiencies right uh, it hasn't aged that well or it hasn't kept up with the world that well up. And and now it's like it's it's up to date. It's keeping up. It's leading in the space. I mean, it's a, uh, I mean, it's truly a joy to work with .NET uh, with .NET Core six. I'd actually like to ask you both this question, which is, um, I I see still pockets of developers who still think that .NET is a is a Windows oriented, you know, Microsoft heavy. We're going to push our products on you framework and you know it was at one time in history and it no longer is but what are you seeing in terms of uh you know that perception is that perception going away finally or or is it still are we still fighting that battle i think that it's largely gone but you know i mean you, we've watched you know we watch people hold on to very strange beliefs and ideas and yeah and they just never go away. And we're watching it now with all these social things, right? So I think all that right. the anecdote that you mentioned is definitely true. There's certainly some people in that space, you know, they routinely get slapped publicly, <laughs> right? They say, 
Hey, dude. Um, maybe they weren't going to use it anyway, right? Yeah, it's like, dude, this has not been the case for five years. Uh, right. Uh, so there's certainly some pockets of, of people that haven't kept up with this. And, you know, it's normal. Nobody can keep up with this industry, right? It's sure. Things are moving so incredibly fast. Well, and especially if you talk about an event like thinking back to 2000 and the Department of Justice and that whole, you know, Microsoft pernicious monopoly and things 20 something years ago. If you right. just said, okay, well, they're the bad guys. I don't pay attention to them anymore. Then it's easy to have still be, oh, but they're the bad guys. <laughs> and that sentiment is still alive. I have to say, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, I just had a friend left the company and, uh, I, he worked at Microsoft, right? And he went to our competitor and I said, Hey, you shouldn't go there because my reasons, right? And he goes, yeah, but you know, Microsoft was a monopoly. I'm like, what? Dude, that was, that was a zillion years ago. Yeah. Anyways, but I mean, uh, yeah, I think that we hold on to these stories or, you know. I can think of yeah. a few other companies that are filling the monopoly role right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think as part of it is the new wave of problems with tech companies has made my is making that old Microsoft thing less and less relevant. Oh my God, that looks like uh, Lego Duplo at this point, right? It was <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was it was it was child's game. It was like uh, you yeah. know, sticks and stones. Yeah, right? I don't. The other thing is that our industry grows so rapidly. There are so <laughs> many less than five years experienced developers in this world today, where Microsoft isn't even in the radar. I mean, yep, and yep. or just recently has coming into their radar was like, who are these guys? The old guy hates them for some reason, but I see no evidence of this. Like, why wouldn't I use this? Yeah, I, you know how they say that uh, you know you change your whole the body cells every God knows how many months, seven right? years, yeah, yeah something mm -hmm. like that. I, I think the same thing has happened at. Microsoft. I think I've held on to mine. Sorry, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, so have I with the pandemic. But, um, mine, mine are a little hard to die. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Get out of the strength training, man. Get out of the strength training. That's what I'm doing now and failing at I'm doing 12 ounce curls at, at the moment. Uh, not Sorry, good. I didn't not mean good. to derail your, your. No, but I think that a lot of the. I think that two things happened. One was definitely uh, we as a community, we all of the tech community, we have definitely leveled up our understanding of the industry or sophistication. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, we have a more sophisticated understanding of how platforms work, you know, how we cooperate, how we don't cooperate. Right. Uh, open source is now something that everybody understands what yeah. it is, what are the, the, the parameters. So I think that as an industry, we changed. And, uh, you know, it, it took years and, you know, even the old guard understood it. Mm -hmm. And the new guard was definitely, you know, very excited about it, right? The TikTok community, uh, you know, uh, takes open source for granted. Oh, well, and, thank God. I mean, you know, the TikTok community, we, we really care what they think. Oh, I love TikTok. I love you TikTok. Do? Anyways. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it all about dancing and like, it is all about dancing. But what I find fascinating about TikTok is, I mean, I guess it depends on who you follow, but I suppose. what I find interesting, it's really... It's the human spirit, the human creativity. When people remix okay. ideas and, you know, you play on the same joke over and over and the jokes get more complicated. They're like, they end up being like inside jokes, but they get so funny as you spend more time on this thing. Well, you know, that's, that's true. That is true. And, you know, everything my daughters have showed me on TikTok, I've laughed at. Whereas 
the stuff that goes viral on uh you know on facebook is usually like cars falling off a cliff or something or you know guys slipping on a banana peel or taking it in the nuts you know it's like the america's funniest home videos worldwide kind yeah of. it's just i see this as you know the at least the, the TikTok that I get recommended is like the triumph of the human spirit. I love it. Right. People, people sharing their, you know, their most uh, intimate moments or their funniest ideas and, you know, people, raff, you know, uh, playing with each other. All right. You've and, convinced me. Oh, All right. <laughs> anyways, it is a, it is a cultural phenomenon. Right. No two ways about it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's bad parts. I mean, apparently the algorithm will, te- you know, if you, if you like bad stuff, it will show you bad stuff. I guess my point is that is there really a tech community on tiktok or is it all just kind of well what i mean about uh, what i mean about that when i said the when i did that throwaway comment about tiktok it was mostly that you know as we hire new people right at microsoft we have you know every year we hire people out of college and uh, and these people that are being hired out of college have lived in an open source world right right so yeah. now that you know now we're dealing with the opposite problem with microsoft which is like oh no uh, let me explain some code we don't publish and they go mm-hmm. what Right. So, so that's what I, that's really what I meant by the TikTok. I see. Uh, I mean, it's really more like the public understanding is so different. The world as a whole has changed and even the old guard has changed. Right. But it's fascinating. I mean, the most, uh, the, the most stark and contrasting features when you talk to these young people that have never seen the previous world. Right, right. I mean, these are kids that started programming four years ago and uh, or five mm-hmm. years ago, and it's they, an open source world. It's an open source world. It's an iOS world. It's an Android world. It's and Windows has world. been, and Windows has been this, uh, you know, the machine that you use for a few things at home, and maybe right. it's what you connect to the printer, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. it, you know, to them, it's a it's a different beast. And gentlemen, yeah. I have to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. There's always something new from our sponsor, Text Control. They just released version 30 of their document processing library that includes new document collaboration features. Using TX Text Control, you can integrate online document editing, document signing, collaboration, and PDF processing into your ASP.NET and ASP.NET Core web applications. Whether you need to create PDF invoices, quotations, or reports, TX Text Control provides the developer libraries for all document-related tasks. Check out the new features and see their technologies in action by visiting the live demo at demos.textcontrol.com. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com 
to start your free 14-day trial. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo. Talking to our friend Miguel Diacaza about this amazing past 20 years. And, and I don't know if this is a little more future speculative, but, you know, we were just in the first, at the end of the first half here, talking about open source. Mm -hmm. To me, the past couple of years of open source has transformed remarkably. And I, I think it's the, the the tech giants are all doing open source very seriously now. Like Microsoft moving a non-trivial amount, amount of their development teams to do everything via GitHub. Like just suddenly an awful, I mean, GitHub used to be a place where people spent their volunteer time, their free time, their unpaid time on. And now there's a large number of people whose full-time job is contributing into GitHub. I still have customers that when I suggest they put their code in a GitHub repo, say, yeah, but we don't want to share it. They don't understand that it's private <laughs> yeah. by default. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in your thinking around, you've been in the open source community since before it was cool. Yeah. Uh, and before GitHub. I think the one thing that still remains, uh, you know, we we have now as an open source community found different ways of financing open source mm -hmm. with some degree of failure and success. Mm -hmm. And it is probably, you know, it is probably the thing that I would like to see more models evolve, right? Mm -hmm. So today we have a very strict definition of what open source is, right? So open source, everybody can use it, modify, redistribute, et cetera. And um, there's companies that have found that this model doesn't necessarily work for them. Because, right. you know, people can take the open source product and monetize it. You know, if you're a company that has a good sales and marketing channel, you can essentially take open source products and more effectively market and sell that versus a company that is pure open source and, and giving all their work away. So there has been a movement to find alternative licenses for financing it. And some of them have gone, you know, some people have complained, uh, some people feel it's unfair. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, we haven't found that, uh, we haven't found that recipe for making open source uh, self-sustaining or people mm. to be able to pay their bills with open source. Some people get lucky and, and they work for Microsoft doing open source and that is great. Mm -hmm. uh, but some others don't, right? And, and there is a struggle. And I, you know, I really wish that we could find uh, solutions to this problem. Well, it's the Wikipedia problem too, right? Uh, to some extent. You yeah. go to Wikipedia and the first thing you get hit with is, you know, please support us or we might go away. Yeah. So, you know, I just saw that Chris Latner, this guy that did the uh, LVM and Swift and uh, Tensor, work in TensorFlow and recently was doing CPUs, he just left his last company and went to build his own company. And, uh, you know, this just happened yesterday. And I really like this idea. I mean, I think that uh, maybe what we do need to do is is streamline and coach people that have interesting open source projects into how they can turn those into viable businesses. So I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's something that I wish we could develop more and we could explore more. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, even, even build uh, structures or build organizations that can support developers in this quest, right? So 
I think open source has been great, but I wish that I wish that people that contribute to open source didn't have to do it out of their uh, you know that it didn't have to come out of the kids' college fund, like right? charity. Or, yeah, exactly. So. Uh, so I think it's still an unfair problem and there's a lot of people looking at the problem, right? There's, you know, some folks say, Hey, fund me on Patreon or GitHub sponsors mm, right. uh, or, uh, or, you know, uh, Kickstarters and uh, it's kind of a wild west, but what this indicates to me is that there is a serious need. And, uh, and I think that we do need to come up with solutions or encourage, you know, that not everything has to be pure open source, that we're okay with alternative licenses like uh, the CockroachDB or what's the other one, Elastic? Anyways, uh, mm. those folks crack those models. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of this is you build the product for for free, open source, run it if you want, and then you sell a cloud service for it. Like a, that to me seems like the Elastic model where, yeah, of course, not all the source code is public. You, you don't you don't publish everything, and you know we keep I keep reminding people of Microsoft uh, about Microsoft mm -hmm. like that. It's like, yeah, sure, most of what's coming out of .NET is open source. Mm -hmm. You don't see a whole lot of open source out of Azure. You know, right. they're they're still <laughs> yes. doing yeah. they're still filing patents on closed source like the same old fa fashion business model that Microsoft yes. was built yes. on. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to your question of where I see open source, um, I don't know that this is going to get fixed, but I wish it got fixed because mm -hmm. all of these people, you know, they deserve a good life and they deserve to be compensated for their work. So I very much would like to see that space succeed. And, and to, to Richard's point, there's a, a company that you guys probably know of, you know, uh, Jeff Atwood, who was one of the founding members of Stack Overflow. He uh, started uh, uh, basically a project called Discourse, and it is a forum, you know, a forum like Stack Overflow with all the great features of Stack Overflow. I know because I've used it. And it is open source, and you can run it on your own servers, but they also have a fully managed service where they do everything for you. And yeah, you pay, you pay, but you don't, you have no headache. So just like what Richard was saying, that's 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 a good model if you have something that is a server or a service that you yes. can open source. But so many of these um, so many of these projects are just little tools, right? Yeah, and I think uh, you know maybe maybe I'm talking myself into building this, uh, but, it would be, uh, <laughs> but it would be nice if all of these leaf uh, things. Uh, you know, if you could have a shared marketing and sales infrastructure mm. that helps funnel some funds into these folks. And certainly the server stuff is amazing. I, I love what Jeff has done. I mean, yeah. I think that the world is using uh, Discourse. I mean, Discourse is awesome. Everywhere I go, there's a Discord forum, and I think it's, it's better than <laughs> all oh, Discord. The other yeah, Discord is a different thing. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. This, this, this is Discourse, right? Discourse, Discourse is not the Discord. Forum. Yeah, Discord is yeah. A, there's a whole bunch of these things that sound the same. Anyways. Um, but isn't this what the Apache Foundation has done, Miguel? Like they have now no. raised enough money that they're funding a certain number of open source projects? No. Well, I mean, I don't know to what extent they fund. I think they're mm -hmm. more of an umbrella project like the Dotnet Foundation. Yeah. And, you know, special interest groups finance individuals in, in those things. Like, for example, uh, Apache TVM. Uh, well, it's open source. There's a company that contributes a lot of the work, right? Right. There's a lot of the heavy lifting there, but, uh, 
No, I think that what I would like to see is for all these little tools and little libraries have essentially a way of, uh, of uh, financing those folks in a way that is not just like GitHub sponsors or Patreons or, you know, uh, you know, pay me $5 and, and unlock my next blog post, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, the Buy people shouldn't coffee. be spending all their time on, uh, you know, blog posts or stickers or I'll send you a shirt. Uh, right. You know, I wish they could just make money off their work. Right. Um, and I don't have an answer. That's a problem. But it, no, this is it's a, not a simple problem. Well, if people are no. going to put stuff out for free, it's very hard to compete with that. That's mm -hmm. just the law but, of economics. But I also think you get into this disparity situation where mm -hmm. here's a, a volunteer person who in this part time built a tool that they thought was useful for their work. They right. put it on GitHub because it was a nice place to keep it. Mm -hmm. They were talking to some other friends. They wanted to use it too. So they make it an uh, available project. A few folks now are using it. They all benefit from it. It's good. Pure volunteer. It's something on the side. Handful of peers that work on it. It helps them. Yeah. Uh, it, it then gets the attention of a large tech corporation who realizes, hey, this is a tool our own people are using as well. Uh, it increases our productivity. And they assign an FTE to it. Mm -hmm. Hey, we need some features put in. We'll, we'll do it. So the full-time employee paid 40 hours a week, maybe not in love with the project. Mm. This is their job, right? Now starts making contributions based on what the PM inside of that company thinks is important for the project. Right. They don't want this it to go person, away. Well, this person can outproduce any volunteer any day of the week. It's their job. Like you, you suddenly had, this is where the disparity comes in. A group of volunteers who built the thing the way they wanted to as peers suddenly has a contributor that's working full time on it. It sounds like a good thing until, you know, it, that, that a volume of production can change the shape of the project, you know, substantially. It's, it's a disparity of, of performance. Well, another fork of that scenario, Richard, is that uh, a customer that's using the tool wants changes made to it and you know contacts the 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 developer of it developer says hey man i got a full-time job here you know if you want mm -hmm. me to make changes you know here's my rate you know and here's yeah. how much it's going to cost and so things can happen you know piecemeal at a time because of that because one customer wants changes done to it and i think that's probably the way that most of these projects operate they just put stuff out there until somebody needs it and relies on it and wants a change and is willing to pay for that change. There's this cute cartoon making the rounds. I don't know who the author is, um, but it's a bunch of blocks stacked on top of each other and it's a big tower, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, I think it's like, I don't know, it represents some big software industry. And the whole thing depends on this tiny little thin block and it says open source maintainer doing the work on these yes. weekends, right? It's just like, uh, I mean, we've built entire industries uh, on things that are not properly funded. Like, I, it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had what is probably the largest security hole in history, right? The Log4j. Log4j, yeah. And, uh, you know, somebody accepted the request, uh, you know, it looked like a good feature and... Uh, and now it's turned out into this massive problem, right? And and uh, I've been know. looking at the news though. I didn't see much Microsoft, many Microsoft problems over Log4j. <sighs> I'm not sure. Not a lot of Java in Microsoft, perhaps. Well, yeah. I mentioned that we have some Java, right? I mean, uh, but I didn't see any, you know, like you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody that has Java really is skipping it very quiet right now. (laughs) But it is not limited to Java, by the way. I mean, it is unfortunate that Java got hit by this. That was a a, a convenient factor. Yeah, Yeah. but I'm sure that... None of us throw stones. All Everyone's been there. You know what? I used to throw stones at Microsoft as a as a sport when I was like seventeen or eighteen, right? It's like, oh, they have a security hole, ha 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 ha, and uh, you know. We used to throw uh, stones at Linux too. Yeah, we on .NET Rocks, we had a thing called the Linux vulnerability of the week. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't make fun of that anymore. We're all royally and totally screwed. We yeah. are. We live in borrowed time. Yep. All of us. I agree. We 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 live. I mean, we're we're barely surviving, and uh, it is a disaster. And now the ransomware has turned into destructoware. I don't know if you've seen yes. this, but but the latest uh, trend in ransomware is to not encrypt your data, but delete it, all of it. Thank you for playing. Goodbye. And uh, we talk about this on a. And this is a good opportunity for me to plug my relatively new podcast with Patrick Hines and Dwayne LaFlotte called Security This Week. Securitythisweek.com is all I'm going to say. We laugh, we talk about security. Um, but that's not a laughing matter. There, This was um, a, something that the, the, the FBI or the CISA has warned in United States companies to be prepared for destructoware because it's coming. Ouch. Yeah, we had this thing with, uh, what was that, the electricity company a few months ago. They got hit by some hackers. Yep, and, yep. Uh, and then there's the blackmail, right? I mean, we don't talk about that because, you know, if they succeed with the blackmail, they succeed with the blackmail, right? Patrick says we should make it illegal to pay ransomware ransoms. Yeah, it's tough. It's all well and fine until the data gets destroyed, right? And people die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know how you enforce that. I mean, it's, it's just not that simple. Yeah, I know. It's a desperate situation. You know, you're a hospital. You have people I know, in the yeah. emergency room. What do you do? You, the hospital is like, sorry, there's a law. Uh, Schools are particularly <laughs> vulnerable. And we have a habit of giving criminals career advice. But, you know, if you want a, <laughs> a successful ransomware attack, schools are vulnerable because they, they typically have insecure IT. And, you know, kids got to go to school. You have to have data. You have to have grades. So they, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, so I stopped laughing. I stopped laughing a long time ago because yeah. we're all we. It's it's security holes up and down the stack, I and mean, oh, yeah. it's just a matter of time to find them. But it's uh, we've built a civilization out of uh, a sand, <laughs> so it's just a matter of time until the wave comes in. Yeah, and on that happy note, what do you see for the yeah. future of uh, <laughs> .NET um, security risks aside? Well, I mean. Um, I mean, the thing about .NET is I, I really like that it continues to be the, uh, and that first of all, like we said earlier in the show, it's managed to keep up with uh, the needs of the modern world. So yeah. one thing that I'm really proud and very happy is that now .NET is no longer kind of lagging behind or super tight to Windows or lacking, you know, core interop capabilities that everybody has kind of taken for granted. And at the same time, one thing that .NET has going for it is the fantastic tooling that comes with it, right? Yeah. Either Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, the support that comes with it, the long-term maintenance the community. agreements that come with it. And it's certainly the community. But what I mean is that these days, uh, as the dust settles on, on all the excitement on 
on the web and all the excitement on microservices and all of this stuff, right? Many things have been sorted out. So, so the necessity of being in the latest and greatest unstable platform is not as important anymore because we now have answers. So I think that .NET is now a fabulous and fantastic choice for people doing these servers, right? Uh, it comes with a great performance benefit and it interrupts great and you can find a lot of people that use it and the IDE does a lot of the work for you. So I think that from that perspective, .NET is great and mm. the ongoing investments to make it better is fantastic. Um, so, you know, that, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, on the other hand, .NET is not suitable for every workload, right? I mean, we run everywhere, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a replacement for a C or C++ library. Um, yeah. Low level, hardware dependent, you know, those yeah, kinds of things. Yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, you don't want a garbage collector in the kernel, right? No. Or, no. And, uh, and what you can, uh, things that are acceptable in the .NET world, like generating code dynamically are not necessarily acceptable for other scenarios. So, you know, the only thing I wish is that we start to wean ourselves off, uh, you know, our tech community that we can start the movement away from C and C++ yeah. uh, towards other safer languages, right? And I know that the poor, I mean, the poor C++ guys, I mean, those guys are trying very hard to to make well, things better, but it's and, so and their language keeps modernizing too, right? I it mean, gets modern, but the problem the problem with C is that it is unsafe by default. It's bare metal. Right? So it's very easy. It's very easy to to do everything right with the new idioms, and then you know I'm just gonna take a little shortcut here, just yeah. a tiny shortcut, right. and then pff, the whole thing blows up, right? And, and yeah, and that's <laughs> a security risk or an instability risk or any number. Of the whole things. thing, right? The, pointers. Yeah, the whole thing. Pointers, so to pointers, I, to pointers to pointers to pointers to pointers to pointers. Yeah, so we gotta we gotta start winning ourselves off these languages, and uh, and there's all kinds of good reasons, right? Like, well, the code works. You don't rewrite it. You know, we've maintained it. We haven't well, found the, holes. Aren't there still um, situations where C plus plus is necessary just because of performance, dry, de, uh, drivers, and things like that? I think that Rust should be. Um, That's what I was thinking be, too. Uh, we are starting to see new languages emerge like Rust, that are good for that. That are as bare metal as C++ and not as insecure? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but I mean, basically, yes. Basically, Rust provides that uh, that that mechanism, wow. right? And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of these compilers all end up using the LLVM uh, <laughs> code yep. generator, right? So Thanks, Mr. All... Latimer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the point being then, we're using a higher level language essentially to generate safe C++. Uh, essentially, think about it. Like, for example, the other day I was bitching and moaning about, I was writing some code in Swift and uh, I was like, good Lord, why is this thing checking integers? <laughs> I, I profiled the code. It's like, why is this doing an overflow check on an addition? And I thought, well, this is horrible. I don't want to write the extended version of this. Right. Um, I just want to, I just don't want it to be checking overflows, right? Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, I was complaining about this and, you know, having a, a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, moment, <laughs> engineer mm -hmm. moment about this, one of those rants on, on a channel. I'm and good I, enough uh, to not overflow my integers. Stop I checking. Know my integers. I know I my integers. I can do this. <laughs> uh, like two days later, two days later, there's a security hall where, where somebody used one of these innocent looking, uh, Integer overflows. 
Exactly. I'm going to shut up. I don't know if you saw this latest uh, security hack. There's a fabulous security hack on, I think it's on TIFF images, where the exploit consists of overflowing or generating images that create a virtual machine. And they build a virtual machine what? out of and gates or gates and not gates, right? So this is what they do. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think first of all, beautiful PDF, PDF, PDF. It's a PDF. So oh, okay. PDF, you can you can embed some uh, chunks of operations that are an image, and uh, and they find a way of overflowing it in such a way that you could concatenate these things and you could compute and or and not, which <laughs> are the principles behind flip flops. So. Right. This company, oh, it was actually NSO, the Israeli company that sells hacks for right. iPhones. Yeah. yeah and what the they did is that- Gray area company. We don't know if they're good guys or bad guys, right? Oh, they're bad guys. So anyways, <laughs> they built this PDF payload that essentially contains a virtual machine that executes code to hack your phone based on a PDF. Yes. I, right? We, we talked about this. Oh, good Lord. So anyways, I have to- And you don't even have objection. to open it, right? It's, if somebody sends to it, it to yeah. your phone, you're you're screwed. Yes. So, you know, I withdraw my objections to additional checks on overflows and, and things that safe languages are doing. I, right. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Well, it also speaks to the reality, which is we've got enough compute. Your CPU has the time to check your work. Yes, it is more important these days to be yeah. safe than to be slightly faster. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and that's the core argument when we get back to this whole sleep plus plus conversation is like your defensive performance is less and less relevant. Yeah. We have such powerful CPUs and the risks are so significant. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think we're going to eliminate them, by the way. Since no. plus. I just think that as we write new code, we really should, we really, really should make a strong case for why we need to keep doing it on C++. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And, and yeah. The, the reality is that the majority of the performance is not where you think, uh, you know, the majority of the performance loss is not where you think it is. So okay. yes, write your tight decoder uh, in C code, but 99% of the rest should be a high level language. Well, and, it, and it's a handful it of people who are carefully checking each other's work to minimize security risk. Like there's a high overhead to writing code that way too. You know, for your day-to-day -day performance coding on a more abstract language like a Rust is safer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in the end, it's spitting out C++ anyway. It's really, it's going through LLVM. So if Rust can spit out C++, is there any way to take C-sharp code and spit out C++? Uh, I guess you can. I mean, uh, in fact, the first <laughs> the first version of the Mono AOT compiler worked that way, right? It generates C++. And in fact, in fact, the Unity... Uh, .NET mm. compiler that works that way. They take mm -hmm. IL code and they generate C++. So it's definitely possible. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some of the slowdown that you see with C Sharp is really things like, hey, we're going to check your array indexes. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you say array of element 10, we're going to check that that array has 10 elements. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And in C++ is like, you know what you're doing, buddy. It's your we're foot. Gonna get, we're gonna get. We're gonna get uh, that uh, <laughs> element right now. It's your foot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, That's very fair. So before we go, Miguel, I have to ask you. Now I know that you're a proponent of low carb diets, and you supported the the keto thing that I did for a long time. Mm -hmm. and yeah, so yeah, I know yeah. you eat low carb. I want to know what is your favorite low carb Mexican dish. <gasps> Well, it's low carb, not zero carb, but carnitas. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, oh, I would have said carne. I would have said carnes or Ooh. carne asada instantly. Or there's this thing. Uh, there's this thing called pozole. I don't know if you. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, it's a hominy soup, right? Yes. Soup so the hominy is technically not low carb, but yeah, oh pozole. No, I'm cook it. It's good stuff. Some cilantro and some lime in there. Oh, oh ceviche! Ceviche is very oh, ceviche, low carb. Very yep. low carb. Ceviche! Oh my god! Now I want to go do that too. And so many different kinds of ceviche too, right? Like this. Um, I have a low carb tortilla recipe that I am going to share with you, and maybe okay. I'll maybe I'll just put it in the notes. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's corn texture, but not made from corn. And it, you make it in the microwave, ninety seconds in the microwave, and you have a stretchable, wonderful corn like tortilla. Oh, and, please send it. Please send and it. And I've made some really good stuff with it. All right. Yeah, I no, I'm, I'm big into the low-carb stuff. Uh, I'm big into, I mean, I, I break my rule and, you know, I like I tell my friends, I <laughs> I, uh, I see more often than I should. Uh, yeah, but that's it. I mean, once you understand it, it's like you can, you at least you know what you're doing to yourself, right? Whereas before we were in the dark. The other piece that I kind of miss for, for a long time really is that the, uh, is that crunch you also gotta you also gotta do uh exercise right and yeah and not and not the aerobic exercise kind of just the you know the regular one is you want to build muscle yeah. and and there was and i really never cared about this until somebody shared an x-ray of uh of uh of uh no when a, a tomography of a, of a muscle right of an arm mm. and you could see the muscle in a 70 year old that exercises and mm-hmm. one that doesn't yeah. one that does strength training and the other one and it's like oh well no wonder if these people cannot walk i mean right. there's really nothing there to sustain it so anyways mm-hmm. i'm trying to to fix that now carl i'm trying okay. to fix that now too. well we'll share some links That's this what is we'll all this is all not muscle <laughs> 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 the coda flabinator yeah, at this age, you gotta start making sure that you're gonna you're gonna land the plane right uh, as <laughs> as nicely as you can. Well, uh, is there any last minute anything that you want to call out before uh, before we end this great conversation? Um, you know, what's on your radar? What are you doing next? Or something you want to talk about before we uh, end? Up? Well, I'm trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, I have a great project right now, but I'm right now thinking about what is my next step actually. And I don't know what it is. I do not know what it is. And, hmm. you know, there are so many fascinating things to do. And our industry produces so many interesting uh, things that, you know, I'm yeah. like the like the dog at the at the butcher, right? I, I can't pick. <laughs> I can't pick what to do next. So I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted. You know, I'll tweet about the, what I'm going to do next. But, you know, I'm wrapping up this project right now. And, and All right, I'm cool. right at the point where I got to figure out what to do next. And if anybody's got an, uh, a suggestion for you, they can tweet you at? Yes, at Miguel de Casa at Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's great seeing you, folks. It's been uh, it's been way too long. And, and yeah. I enjoy uh, I enjoy talking to you guys. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get together again at a conference soon. Yeah, you I too, so. Miguel. Yeah, we hope so. And, and thanks yeah, for saving us, buddy. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate really it. appreciate it. You're too Good kind on you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
.NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a